podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Wednesday, January 12th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and a presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, or whatever it is you're geo-blocked from, be it BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, All4, SkyGo. LibertyShield.com can get you where you need to go while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPL599 to get $5.99 off your first month. So your first month is one quid, $6.99 thereafter, but no contract, no long-term commitment. LibertyShield.com, the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot, LibertyShield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy and use the code EPL10 or RED10 on the respective sites to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, it is Wednesday. Last night we saw Southampton 4. Brentford won. A dominant performance by the Saints. Thought it was a good game for about half an hour. But after that, it was all Southampton. Uh, Jan Bednarak put the Saints one up on five minutes. A nice flicked header from a wicked James Ward-Prowse set piece. And it looked like Saints could run away with that. But, but Brentford fought the way back in. And on 23 minutes, a brilliant volley by Vitaly Janelt from a Brian and Bomo cross, made it 1-1. Janelt has been really good this season. Quietly one of the more impressive players in the bottom half of the league. And somebody who may have a number of clubs coming looking at him in the summer. As a ball progressor, as somebody with a physical side to his game, somebody who's shown he's more than capable of competing at this level, and somebody who is only 23 years of age. He'll be 24 in May. I think Vitaly Arnold will have a number of clubs showing strong interest in him come the summer. Yet another brilliant signing by Brentford. They got him for 600000 from Bochum back in 2020. He's just been an excellent, excellent signing for them. And him and Norgard together do give... Brentford, quite a combative midfield. Unfortunately for them, it didn't work out very well in this game. Um, on 37 minutes, it's another Ward-Prowse set piece, this time from the right-hand side. It's half cleared. Ibrahima Diallo picks the ball up on the edge of the box. Let's rip with a right-footed shot that hits the post. 
bounces back, hits the, the arm of the goalkeeper, Alvaro Fernandez, who's dived to save the shot and bounces back into the net. Really, really bad luck for Brentford. Really bad luck for Fernandez. But maybe just the break that Southampton needed. Armando Brogia would make it three on 49 minutes. Quality ball from Romeo. Brogia breaking from the left-sided channel in behind the defence, carried the ball and beats Fernandez with minimal fuss. What a player Armando Brogia looks like he might become. Che Adams would wrap it up on 70, not long off the bench. One of his first touches of the game. It's a bit of a hopeful ball over the top. It's a good first touch to take the ball down. And a lovely little lofted finish over Fernandez, who comes out and tries to star jump to save the ball or put him off and does neither and ends up nearly strangling Adams as he lands on him and wraps him around him. Um, I thought Saints were good value for their win. Their 4-1 maybe flattered them a little bit, but they were definitely good value for their win. Interesting to see Southampton line up with a back three. Bednarak, Blayanku and Salisu as a back three, and I thought it really worked for them. Now, Nathan Tella played as the right wing back because Tino Livermento was injured. But you have to imagine that playing as a wing back will suit Livermento more than playing as a traditional fullback. I thought Roman Perot on the left side looked far more comfortable as a wing back as well. So maybe this is something Southampton should look to stick with. It also allowed them to get Ward Prowse, Romeo, and Diallo on the pitch and go man for man against the three that. Brentford put in there, Yanult, Norgard and Baptiste. Whether this was just an attempt to line up against Brentford and match them, who they also play the 3-5-2, I don't know. But I'd like to see Ralph try this again. Uh, Redmond and Broya played up front. I didn't think Redmond played all that well. But once Adam, Adam Armstrong back and Che Adams back, he could use one of them alongside Broya in a two. The only issue is, I suppose, they don't have any depth in midfield. They've only got three central midfielders, Ward, Prowse, Romeo and Diallo, and they all started. So if one of them have got, had gotten hurt, it automatically requires a change in shape, unless you stick Stuart Armstrong in there. And he could do a job if it's Ward, Prowse who has to come off. I mean, if Diallo comes off, yeah, he could fill in there as well, but it, you do lose a bit of your defensive Stability. Ward Prowse being the more attacking of the three would be the more natural one for Armstrong to come in for. But it was interesting to see them go with the back three, and I thought it worked quite well. I thought it played to the strengths of all three. Um, a second guy we were just discussing beforehand about Salisu and how he's not at the AFCON. And it's his decision. He has decided not to play for his national team yet. He's focusing on his club career. But when you look at Ghana's squad and you look at the central defensive options that they have there not great really not great and they could absolutely do with him so if you're the head coach of Ghana after these these African championships you really need to go to Salisu and try and convince him that now is the time because Jonathan Mensah is not he's alright I mean he's fine but he's not not great Daniel Amarty, he's okay in a back three. He's not good enough in a back four. 
Jiku I wouldn't be a big fan of. And Mameen is poor. They really could do with a high-level centre-back, and that's what Salisu can become for them. They've got a good left-back in Gideon Mensah, a decent backup in Baba Rockman. They've got a promising young full-back in Bafour and a starter in Yidam. But they need to get better in defence, especially when you look at the talent they have in attacking midfield, especially in the wide areas with Sulemana and Ishaku. They've also got Mohamed Kudus, very, very talented player from Ajax. They need to sort that defence out to give themselves balance and something to build off moving forward. But I was watching Broya last night, and I have to say I was really, really impressed. And I've seen Ralph Ranić's comments about how they would like to keep him, how he would like to stay, how he feels like he's part of the club. And it would be nice if he was actually their player. If he becomes available in the summer, if if Chelsea make a decision to sell him, I think there's going to be huge interest in him across the board. I could see West Ham having strong interest. I definitely think Crystal Palace would have strong interest. I think Brighton would have strong interest. Brentford, if Ivan Tony moves on. Guy says, and I agree, I'd take him at Liverpool. I would take him at Liverpool. I think he's someone that could be developed into a very, very good player. A great player, potentially. But you look up and down the Premier League, and there are clubs that could do with a player of his nature. Arsenal could do with him. Tottenham could do with him. Manchester United is a long-term number nine. Wolves, Brighton. Leicester, you'd say, have good enough striker options that they probably don't need them. Uh, Southampton, what will want to keep them. Palace, Brentford, as I mentioned. Um, Aston Villa, I don't think they'd need them because they've got Watkins and they've got Ings. Everton have Calvert-Lewin, but a Broya Calvert-Lewin front two could work really well if, if Richarlison leaves. Leeds could do with them. I mean, you are looking top to bottom. Most clubs in the league could do with a player like him. And yet Chelsea, who own him, could well decide to move him on. And it is incredible when you look at the players that that Chelsea academy produces year after year after year. It's so impressive. It really is so impressive. I mean, their academy has always, not not always, but you know, you can look back into the 90s and you can see examples of quality players breaking through. Jody Morris was, was quite a good player. Not a great player, but quite a good player. Michael Jubry was a decent player. You know, Michael Jubry came through their academy in 94. He was a solid Premier League defender for a long time. Jody Morris, solid Premier League midfielder for a long time. Then, obviously, John Terry came through in 98. From there, there was a bit of a barren run. Carlton Cole and Robert Huth, probably the two most notable academy graduates for a number of years, up until probably Scott Sinclair in 2007. And, obviously, he never had an impact at Chelsea. His impact was elsewhere. Jeffrey Bruma came through their academy. He went on and had a quite a good career with PSV, Wolfsburg, etc. 
Patrick Van Aanholt didn't have a career at Chelsea, but had a good career, has has had a good career, and continues to do so. Ryan Bertrand in 2011. And, and that's kind of the end of one era. The end of, you know, Chelsea not really doing much with this academy. And then you can see when they really start to ramp things up. Nathan Aki comes through in 2012. In 2014, it's Dominic Solanke, who's currently one of the best players in the championship. Andreas Christensen, currently first choice centre-back for Chelsea. It's taken him a while to get there, but he is there now. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he's a contributing player for Chelsea. 2015, Bertrand Traore. That's a bit of a fake one. They signed him when he was like 18. He graduated the academy at 19. Didn't really have a career with Chelsea, but... He has gone on and had quite a decent career with Leon and now Aston Villa, obviously. 2016. And this is where it really starts to pump players out. Tammy Abraham is playing very, very well for Roma. He's an England international. Fikayo Tomori playing very, very well for AC Milan, England international. Ola Aina was good for Fulham last year, good for Torino this year, Nigerian international. Nathaniel Chalaba, he's been a quality player for a number of years, now playing very well for Fulham. He was at Watford for a few years. He's got England caps. Jeremy Boga, he's one of the most exciting players in Serie A for Sassuolo. Dion Sterling looks a quality right back, out on loan currently at Blackpool, 22 years of age, probably needs to make a permanent move this summer. Uh, but he looks a good right back for the future. Not Maybe not necessarily a high-end Premier League player, but certainly a high-end championship player who could become a solid Premier League player for a club finishing in the bottom half of the division. Callum Hudson-Odoi, what a gifted player. Now, obviously he had the bad Achilles injury, but he's sensational. And he would start for a lot of Premier League clubs. If Chelsea put him on the market tomorrow, they would get a lot of interest from the Premier League and abroad. Mason Mount is an integral part of the Chelsea and England teams. Billy Gilmore, Scottish international, looks a very good player. Needs to get a little bit more physical. Maybe he's a little bit small, but he is a very, very good player. Rhys James, England international, one of the better right-backs in the Premier League. Mark Wehi, one of the better centre-backs in the Premier League this season. England under-21 international can't be long before he gets the call-up to play for England. Now, he can also play for Ivory Coast, and I would wonder if he might be better off playing for Ivory Coast. He's obviously played in the England setup the whole way through from under-16 to under-21, but it may well be that his best chance of regular international football comes with the Ivory Coast. And you would have to say that's quite an exciting team to go into. A partnership of Gwehi and Kasonu of Bayer Leverkusen really would be something for them to build off. They've got Eric Bailly, who's a decent player, um, as another one. They've got Serge Aurier. Left-back's the only position they don't really have a quality defender. Uh, the midfield options of Frank Kessie, Jean-Michel Seri, Hamid Traore, really good players. Ibrahim Sangare, you've got the likes of Jeremy Boga, 
Max Cornet, Wilf Ndidi, no, Wil, uh, Wilf Zaha, rather, and Nicolas Pepe as wide forwards. And then Sebastian Hilar and Christian Kumu as your number eight. That's a really, really strong team. Really strong team. I think Mark Wehi would be better off going for them. I've gone off topic, of course I have. It's what I do, but just something for him to consider. Um, Ian Matson's a very, very talented young left-back, currently alone at Coventry City. He broke through in 2019 under Lampard. Tino Andrewin, who I really, really like. I think he's got huge upside. Um, he's currently on loan at Locomotive Moscow. Now, he's back at Chelsea because he's got, I think it's a broken foot. Locomotive have an option to buy. It, I don't know that they'll take it up. The, the loan hasn't been a spectacular success. But as a as a Premier League footballer, that kid has everything he, he could possibly want to be a really good Premier League footballer. He's big, he's physical, he's great technique. Tariq Lamptey, one of the more exciting right-backs in the Premier League. Currently at Brighton, been linked with moves to Arsenal and Tottenham for 50-plus million. Armando Brogia, Albanian international, been really good for Southampton this season. And I know he's only got the seven goals in 19 games, but his impact has been bigger than that. And he showed at Vitas Arnhem last season that he's the real deal. He started to score at international level for Albania as well. And it was great to see him make the decision to go and play for Albania. Because he could have stuck around and played for England. And Albania have been really unlucky in that they've lost out on a lot of very talented players due to the Albanian dysphoria. Like, Jordan Shakiri should be playing for them. Granit Xhaka should be playing for them. Now, whether you'd want them or not, I don't know. But, you know, they've lost out on a number of really high-end talents over the last decade because of the way Albanians sort of spread throughout Europe and it, it you know it's good to see him deciding to go back and play there uh, Trevo Chalaba doing a very good job this season for Chelsea Xavier Simmons talented midfield player looked good against Brentford in the cup recently Jude Sunsabell didn't have a great game in that cup got that cup match but he is talented there's no doubt there Harvey Vale I, I really like what I've seen of him Lewis Hall, young left-back, played against Chesterfield there, only 17. England under-18 under international. Tino Livermento, I didn't even mention. I mean, when you really look at it, what club is pumping out players like Chelsea? What club is managing this? Like, from 2016 to now, Again, Abraham, Tamore, Aina, Chalaba, the other Chalaba, Boga, Hudson Adoy, Mount, Gilmore, James, Gwehi, Angerin, Lamptey, Livermento, Broya. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. There is no better academy in Europe right now in terms of producing players. I didn't even mention Conor Gallagher who's been one of the best midfielders in the Premier League this season. I only listed players that have actually played a senior game for Chelsea. 
Conor Gallagher hasn't. That's how many players they're producing. Conor Gallagher hasn't even gotten a senior debut yet. Yet he's been an outstanding Premier League midfielder for a year now. Before that, he was doing well in the Championship for Swansea. No other club can match Chelsea when it comes to talent production. A lot of people say Arsenal have the best academy in terms of development because of the amount of coaches that they have. And that's fine. And maybe it's true. But they're not producing the level of talent, the quantity of talent that Chelsea are. I mean, Smith Rowe, Saka, they're the first two to really come along in quite a while for Arsenal that look like definite long-term first-team players. Enketi is talented. Reese Nelson's talented. They're not of that level. Charlie Patino may well be of that level, but we have to wait and see. And there's a couple of others coming along as well. But Chelsea just do such a good job at talent identification and talent development. And for them, it really is a great way to supplement their income, to make themselves a bit more self-sustaining. I mean, Tammy Abraham went for the better part of 50 million. Tamore was 25. Um, Gwehi was 20 plus. Brojaffi goes, you know he's going to be 35, 40 probably. I often wonder, could could a Crystal Palace do what Chelsea do from an academy point of view? Except rather than developing these players to sell them, could they develop these players for their own team? Could they invest the type of money into their academy that Chelsea have invested? And look, because the, the London talent pool is amazing absolutely amazing how much talent there is in london and what chelsea have done is they've got their academy their base and then they've got like little satellite academies dotted around london which enables them to expand their base expand their recruiting pool and i wonder could a crystal palace do something like this and could they start to hoover these players up now it would be a big financial investment, but imagine getting, imagine if you're Crystal Palace and you're getting through, one year you get through Tammy Abraham for Kyle Tamori and Nathaniel Chalaba and Ola Aiden. There's four potential starters for you. The next year it's Jeremy Boga. The following year it's Hudson Adoy. Then it's Mount, Gilmore, James, Gwehi, Angerin, Lamptey. Then Brohia. Livermento, like, I'd love to see if another club could do this, if they could take Chelsea's model and really make an attempt to build their own team internally from their own academy. And yeah, you're going to be a selling club. Yeah, you're going to be the club that develops these players and sells them on. But 50 million for the sale of Tammy Abraham or 45 million, whatever it was, would mean an awful lot more to a Crystal Palace than it would to a Chelsea. You know? It could be a way for them to become completely self-sustaining and more competitive. And if you show a pathway, and the one thing Chelsea have never really shown up until recently is a pathway for young players. 
The one thing you've got to give Frank Lampard credit for is creating a pathway from the academy to the first team. Because prior to, say, Loftus-Cheek coming along, he got a real run before Christensen. Solanke never really got a run at Chelsea. Ake never really got a run at Chelsea. Prior to Loftus-Cheek's development, it really was back to Frank, or to, to John Terry, rather, where you'd find someone who played a lot of games for Chelsea. And there's some, some names there that pop out. I suppose you could argue Ryan Bertrand played a fair, but he did start a Champions League final. But, like, Gail Kakuta, he's the, the guy that they ended up getting a transfer ban for. Um, and he ended up not being very good. Michael Massian, he, he was a very good young defender who left Chelsea, went to Hamburg, did did okay over there. I think he was quite good for um, for Nottingham Forest for a number of years, but never made the grade at, at Chelsea. He's just one of those kind of highly rated. Josh McEachran, really highly rated, never made the grade. There was a lot of these players, Lucas Piazan, Really highly rated. Just didn't make the grade at Chelsea. But then all of a sudden, players started to make the grade and start to be good enough. And you look at what they've been able to do over these past five years. The players they've brought through. And all of them good enough to play, not just in the Premier League, but for Chelsea. Like, Tamori is still good enough to play for Chelsea. So is Gwehi. They could be starting for Chelsea. Abraham is good enough to play for Chelsea. He just wanted to start more often. You know, at worst, they would have been good squad players for a club like Chelsea, which makes them good starters for most of the league. And I'm really curious to know, if you want more insight into what Chelsea do with regards to their academy and the scope of their academy, do get hold of Ryan Baldi's book, The Dream Factory. Very, very good really in-depth piece on Chelsea, so do check that one out. But when you really start to look at the players that they've produced, especially in the last five, six years, it really does open your eyes to the level of talent there and how much money they could potentially save themselves and how much money another club who would go forward and copy their plan, their blueprint, how much money they could save themselves, what they might be able to accomplish. Speaking of young players and developing players, Manchester United played Aston Villa on Monday night in the FA Cup, and they won 1-0. Villa did themselves a lot of good they played very well. I thought Villa were the better team on the night and deserved the win. They got badly done over by a dreadful VAR shambles that took three and a half minutes to make a decision and then tried to claim that it was offside, even though the referee doesn't get involved in, in offsides. So why was the referee involved in this one? It didn't make any sense. It looked like they were looking for a reason to, to scrub the goal off. And to give United the win. But what really stood out to me was just how poor United looked going forward. 
United won the game with a Scott McTominay header, Fred Cross and Tyron Mings being Tyron Mings and not doing his job. And it, it looks like Esri Collins is getting close to the end of his rope with Tyron Mings. It really does. But it really stood out to me just how poor United looked going forward. And in particular, Bruno is not himself at all. I think it's 25 games now without a goal. But Marcus Rashford is the bigger concern for me. Marcus Rashford looks like something's wrong. He doesn't look like the player that we've all come to know over the last couple of years. And I've seen people, you know, speculate in different ways about what could be wrong with Marcus Rashford. Now, there's two things. Number one, he played through most of last season with a bad injury. A couple of them. One of which required surgery in the in the offseason. He missed all of preseason and rushed himself to get back as quickly as he could, but obviously missed the start of the start of the season. But he looks like he's shorn of confidence. He looks he looks exhausted. Frankly, he looks exhausted. And I've seen some suggestions that United would like him to take a period where he focuses just on his football and not on the other things in his life, such as his program for school meals and things like that, which I think is, you know, if if he's not going to focus on it, United should take that burden off him and say, we will commit to pushing this agenda for you, Marcus. We will commit to building this program with you and on your behalf. But Marcus Rashford was booed off at Old Trafford. Now, not by the whole crowd, but a section of the fans booed off one of their own. One of the great stories in English football is Marcus Marcus Rashford and what he's overcome in his life and what an incredible human being he's grown into. Not just a great footballer, but a great human being. And to see him booed off at Old Trafford was, was truly terrible. And there's a really good Twitter account. I'm going to butcher his name. I think it's Lurns, L-O-U-O-R-N-S. I think he's a Watford fan. Really, really good guy. And he's speculated that Rashford had been overplayed to this point in his career. Marcus Rashford, I believe, is 24 years of age, just gone 24 in October. And he's played a lot of football. A lot of football. Uh, 286 games for Manchester United, 46 games for England. Since 2016-17, when he was 19 turning 20, he's been averaging about 50 games a season. 53, 52, 47, 44, 57 last year, despite all the injuries. 15 this year, but obviously missed the first chunk of the season. In 2017-18, he played 52 games for United. He played 16 games for England that same year. That's a lot of football. He's obviously a player who missed his penalty in the European Championship final, and I do wonder if that is weighing on him. Now, we've seen Bakayo Saka been able to just sort of shake that off 
But both Rashford and Sancho, uh, they've struggled this year. And I, I do wonder if them being around each other, talking about it, is doing more harm than good. But I want to take a look at Rashford in the minutes. Because you all know I'm a big fan of Deli Ali, And I've said for as long as I've been doing this podcast, there is a player there. He, he showed too much in his early career for there not to be a player there. But he needs out of Spurs. And he's to go somewhere else and rebuild his career. So let's take a look at minutes played by the age of 24 for one second. Okay, so I've got a list here of about 35 names. Ronaldinho, less than 10,000 minutes by the age of 24. Kaka, just over 10,000 minutes. Paul Scholes, just over 11,000. Iniesta, 14,000. Salah, 14,000. Busquets, 14,500. Harry Kane, 15,700. Thierry Henry, just over 16,000. Ronaldo, I believe that's the Cristiano version. No, it's the Brazilian version. Excuse me. It's the Brazilian version. 16,300. Now, he had a lot of injuries. Um, Beckham, 16,500. Luis Suarez, 17,500. Benzema, 17,500. Gary Neville, 18,000. Aryan Robin, 18,000. Stephen Gerrard, 19,000. Frank Lampard, 19,000. Patrick Vieira, 19,300. Xavi, just under 20,000. Sergio Aguero, just over 20,000. Lionel Messi, just over 20,000. Marcus Rashford, just over 21,000. So Marcus Rashford has played a 1,000 minutes more at this point in his career than Lionel Messi had. Ryan Giggs, but 100 more than Rashford. Michael Owen, 22,500. Career done by 26 for Michael Owen. Now, just remember that. Career done by 26. Uh, Raheem Sterling, just over 23,000. Raheem Sterling has not been the same player for the last 18 months. And I wonder if maybe part of that is a little bit of fatigue. Uh, Cristiano, 26,500. Obviously, he's a freak of nature. Wayne Rooney, 24,000. Now, Wayne Rooney, in my view, if we take a look at his career, obviously, a long and storied career, but when was the last time in Wayne Rooney's career he was legitimately an elite-level player? Would it be fair to say it was the 2011-12 season? Rooney was 26, turning 27 that year. And that's the last great year of Wayne Rooney. So those uh, those early minutes definitely had an effect on his longevity. Neymar, just over 24,000 minutes. Neymar's career has been blighted by injuries in the last five, six years. Since joining Paris Saint-Germain, he's rarely been able to stay on the pitch for prolonged periods of time. There's an injury or two every single season which is reflected in the fact that since joining PSG in 2017, 
when he was 25 years of age. He's only played 30 games or more twice. In his first season, he played exactly 30. Last season, he played 31. He's never played more than 20 league games for them. That was his first season. Last season, he managed only 18. Neymar is another example of a player whose longevity has been affected. And he's playing in France. He's not playing in La Liga or the Bundesliga or the Premier League with a high physical level of intensity, a high level of intensity. He's playing in France. And even that last season at Barca, you'd started to see him tail off a little bit. Massive drop in his goal scoring, down from 39 to 31 and then 20. You can see it in France as well. 28, 23, 19, 17. What does he have this season? Five? It's something low. Neymar. This season, Neymar has scored three goals in 14 games. And again, he's on, on tally to miss you know, 25-plus games for PSG this year. The name above him is Deli Alley. 24,500 minutes by the age of 24. And when you look at what Deli was doing, it is obscene how much football that boy was playing at such a young age. Like, you go back... His last season at MK Dons, sorry, his last two seasons at MK Dons, 37 games and 44 games. Now, bear in mind, when Delhi left MK Dons, he was 19 years of age. Just turned 19. So those games were as a 16, 17, 18-year-old. By his 19th birthday, he'd played over 80 professional games. And that's League One as well. That's boggy pitches, physical football, questionable officiating stand, uh, standards. He joins Tottenham. It's 46 games, 50 games, 50 games, 38, 38, 29 last season. Injuries have started to play a, play a major part. Remember, he went to that 2018 World Cup with an injury. And played the entire World Cup. He played 37 times for England. By the time he was 23 years of age. Delhi hasn't played for England in nearly three years. But by 24. He was over 300 club appearances. And near enough 40. He probably played 350 games. Crazy. All competitions, he was probably close enough to 50 games by the time he turned 24. And you see it, he looks a shell of himself. The talent is still there, the brain is still there, but his body doesn't seem to be able to keep up. Adele's only 25. He'll turn 26 in April. But we may well have seen the best of him. I'd take a gamble on him. I believe that he can still be a very good player. 
And I've said before, if I was Everton, he's someone I would look to bring in. I think him off Calvert-Lewin really is something you could work with. The only name above Delhi on the list is Eden Hazard. 26,649 minutes. Now, again, this is not an exhaustive list of other players who'd be in and around. But Eden Hazard, I mean, some seasons he was one of the best players in the Premier League. Other seasons he was awful. But Eden Hazard left Chelsea to join Real Madrid at 28 years of age and has been terrible. Absolutely terrible since joining them. He He's a finished player. And there were multiple Premier League seasons in which Eden Hazard was not particularly good. The 15-16 season obviously being an absolute stinker. He basically just took the year off. Hazard's another example. 28 years of age, finished, done. And that's the thing with all of the names on this list. Bar Cristiano and potentially Sterling, who I, you know, may well re- rediscover his best form. Hazard done at 28. Delhi looks, looks potentially done at 25. Neymar, I mean, he's not done, but certainly not the player we expect him to be. Rooney was done at 27. Owen was done at, whenever he left Liverpool, 26. Giggs. I mean, he had a long career. I don't think you you could really make a case that he was a great player in his late 20s and into his 30s. He was still a good player, but not what he looked like he was going to be at 17, 18, 19. At that point, he looked like he might take over the world. And Rashford falls into this boat as well as a player who may not be able to sustain the minutes that have been placed on him and the importance of those minutes. And I do wonder with certain players and certain clubs, if maybe there needs to be more responsibility placed in the clubs. If maybe we're not seeing too many players rush through. Like Manchester United, in an era of the incredible spending that they've been through, nearly a billion quid spent since Ferguson left, how is it that a young player like Marcus Rashford was shunted forward so frequently to save the day? How was that much pressure put on a young player at that club. And it's not just him, because if you if you watch that game against Villa on Monday night, Mason Greenwood looks like a guy who's kind of disinterested, struggling a little bit physically, maybe not developing technically the way we expect them to develop. It's concerning. It should be concerning for English football that players like Rashford, Delhi, and Greenwood maybe aren't going to hit the ceiling of where their talent dictates they should get to because they've been overplayed as younger players. It's something to watch for, something to keep an eye on. But... In, with those two in particular, Delhi and Rashford, I do just wonder if that's what the case is. If, if the amount that they've been forced to play so early in their careers is really going to curtail 
the back end of their careers. What should be their primes? Are we seeing examples where their primes were actually in their early 20s, not their mid and late 20s? Because they came through so early, because they played so much so young. And it would be a massive shame if that's the case. But right now, if I was giving Marcus Rashford one piece of advice, it would be, it wouldn't be, you know, stop your charity work. It would be speak to your agent and tell him to maybe find you a move away. Maybe it's time that Marcus Rashford looked, even if it's just a loan for a year, to get himself away, get his head right, get himself, you know, back in the groove. He's at a contract next summer. 2023 United do have an option to extend it for a year so in truth he's at a contract in two years but if I was him I wouldn't be rushing to sign a new contract now he may well do because of his love of the club but I really wouldn't be rushing to do it right now if I was him I'd be strongly considering other options strongly considering if the best thing for his career is to stay at Manchester United or to move on because when your home crowd starts to boo you like that, it really, really goes one way. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've got some AFCON, we've got some transfer news, and we've got some gossip. So we'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So uh, let's start with AFCON, where we move into day four. Uh, thus far, Cameroon have beaten Burkina Faso 2-1, two Abubakar penalties, giving the host nation the win in the opening game of the competition. And Cape Verde beat Ethiopia 1-0, uh, a goal from Julio Tavares, the only difference between the sides. Uh, Senegal beat Zimbabwe 1-0 with a very, very, very late Sadio Mane penalty. And his teammate Nabi Keita captain Guinea to victory over Malawi 1-0. Uh, Isiga Sila with the only goal of the game. Senegal and Guinea will play next, and Malawi will play Zimbabwe. But Senegal and Guinea will be the favourites to get through from that group. Cameroon, and I think Burkina Faso, probably the favourites to come through with a Group A. Uh, in Group C, Morocco beat Ghana 1 0. Sofian Buffal with the only goal of the game, and Gabon beat Comoros 1 0 uh, as well. Ubenza with the only goal. No Abamiang, no Lamina in that one. They're both out with COVID. Uh, Gabon play Ghana next. That's a huge one. And it looks like Aubameyang and Lamina will miss that one too. Morocco play Camoras. You'd imagine it is Morocco plus one of the other two. Uh, that game between Gabon and, and Ghana is massive. Massive for the group. Um Group D, Nigeria beat Egypt 1-0. Ian Acho with the only goal of the game. Uh, you'd have to be massively disappointed with the Egyptian manager and the way he set his team up. Deciding to use Mo Salah as a target man and lump the ball long to him. He must have thought he was playing with a team of Hendersons. There used to be a song, We All Dream of a Team of Carragers. Well, nobody has ever sang We All Dream of a, of a Team of Hendersons. But Mo Salah experienced a team of Hendersons and it was horrendous. Nigeria won, Egypt nil. Sudan and Guinea Basu drew nil uh, nil in the other game in that group. You'd imagine Nigeria and Egypt will be the two that will come out of the group. In Group E, Algeria drew nil nil with Sierra Leone. 
wonderful moment as the Sierra Leone goalkeeper was given the Man of the Match award and broke down in tears. Just so proud of what him and his teammates had accomplished. Um, Equatorial Guinea will play Ivory Coast today. I think Ivory Coast are the favourites to win this thing. I've got them and Algeria coming out of this group. And in Group F, it is Tunisia versus Mali today and Mauritania versus Gambia today. Tunisia Mali should be the two that make the make the knockout stages. And then we'll see whoever else comes through out of the third place teams. But thus far, the AFCON has been equal parts exciting and mental. Some of the football has been, well, awful, to be quite honest. But some of it's been quite good. And the theatre around it's great. The atmosphere seems great. Players seem to be enjoying themselves. So I'm very much enjoying what I've seen so far. Uh, transfer news. Everton have agreed a deal for Luca Dina with Aston Villa. So Dina will move to the Midlands for £25 million. It's a good signing for Villa. There's no doubt he's, a, he's an upgrade at left-back for them. I don't think he's the ideal left-back for them, but he's what they've gotten and he will be a big upgrade. He's a French international. He's one of the five or six best left backs in the league. At 28, he's not old. He's a little bit older than the timeline of their core players. But, no, it's a good signing. It is a good signing. It gives Gerrard uh, a new weapon. I think him and Coutinho make this a good window so far for Villa. They aren't finished. Apparently, they're still looking to bring in a midfielder and a backup goalkeeper. And There's a couple of players due to leave. Anwar Al-Ghazi looks like he could be one of those who leaves. Everton want to bring him in now. would be a separate deal, not a player exchange. But Everton are interested in Al-Ghazi. Everton would like him on loan. But Villa would rather sell. And Villa value him at around £15 million. Everton don't want to spend that. Everton probably can't spend that right now. Uh, but Anwar Al-Ghazi could be interesting in that Everton team. Tall, rangy, pacey winger. Frustrating. But when he's on, he can be a menace. So, one to keep an eye on. Uh, Tottenham apparently are in talks with Wolves over a loan move for Adama Traore with an obligation to buy if he plays a certain amount of minutes. They want to bring him in as a wingback. I really don't like this. I really don't like Adama Traore for Tottenham at all. Um, this stinks of Paratici to me and to be honest it is really a damp squib of a signing to start the Conte era uh, Adam is just a player that doesn't doesn't move the needle for me he, he's, a, he's obviously talented he's an incredible dribbler but he's got no final ball no final ball at all Now, maybe as a wing-back, maybe as a wing-back, he is the business. But I have doubts. I really do have doubts. Uh, Tottenham also been linked with a move for Jesse Lingard on a free transfer in the summer. Uh, Stephen Bergvine been linked with a move away from Tottenham to Ajax. I don't understand what Adama provides that Stephen Bergvine couldn't provide as a right wing-back, personally. 
I really don't. I just think Adam is a, a slightly bigger version of him. Um, but Bergwijn is more of an end product. That would be eighty-three million pounds spent on wing backs, on four right wing backs, since Tottenham started to sell off Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier, who they got seventy million for. So they brought in Serge Aurier, flop. Matt Doherty, flop. Emerson, I think he's been decent this season. He's good defensively. Yes, his final ball needs work. So does Adamas. Like so does Adamas. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a lot of money on a gamble for a player that hasn't really shown enough. Now, guy was pointing out before we started, he did play his wing back first for Middlesbrough, and he looked quite good there. But we'll have to wait and see. There were some games he played there for Wolves as well, and he was pretty good. But the final ball is is the final ball. So we'll have to wait and see. I would, wouldn't would be keen on it at all. I suppose the most surprising transfer going on right now is Chris Wood from Burnley to Newcastle. £25 million fee. Allegedly, it's a release clause, which is why it's happening. Burnley are furious, did not want this deal to happen. Certainly did not want him to go to a rival. It makes sense for Newcastle to get a striker in. It makes sense for Newcastle to try and weaken one of their relegation rivals. Burnley have been very quiet on this. Looking through the most recent uh, stuff from any of the the, the Burnley uh, beat reporters, none of them have much from Burnley. Uh, Chris Bowden, who's probably the best of the bunch, uh, says still nothing from this end, but the suggestion from the northeast is of a release clause. Initial reports were this clause wasn't in play until summer, but can't see Burnley or Sean Dyche deciding to sell for that fee into relegation rivals otherwise. Can't imagine club would be willing to sell even when Barnes, oh, sorry, when only have Barnes who plays that role and he's away for another couple of weeks. He's been out for three months. Vidra had COVID. He's had a couple of problems that require surgery. And Jay Rodriguez, unless Burnley have something uh, lined up, this is a tough one to take for them. Unless they have something lined up, this is problematic. Now, here we go. Just had it confirmed at this end that Wood's release clause was triggered by Newcastle. It wasn't due to kick into summer. Nothing Burnley can do. Believe it is twenty-five million, which is good business. To be fair, Burnley paid fifteen million for him, so it is a good profit on a thirty-year-old striker who's not a prolific goal scorer. He's about one in three in the Premier League. But Chris Wood's a good player. There's no doubt Chris Wood's a good player. Um, you'd have to imagine Dyche is going to be given some, if not all, of this money to spend and try and keep his side in the Premier League. Now, they got Max Cornet for 14 million. 
if they could get another one like him and then another one for 10 million, I mean, could they now be a club who's in for Eddie and Kethia? That's possible. Could they be in for Todd Cantwell? I think that's possible. Move Cornet into an attacking role. Cantwell off one side. Dwight McNeil off the other. That's something that could work. But Burnley have 19 days to find reinforcements. 19 days to go and find players to keep you in the division. Because this is a blow. Chris Wood's a good player. He's very important to how you play and what you do. And you're losing him to a rival. It's pretty clear what Newcastle's plan is going to be. Give it to Kieran, Kieran Trippier and launch crosses into the box. Now, Wood and Callum Wilson will be a very physical pairing once Wilson's back. There's not many goals in the pairing. They're both about one in, in three. The hope will be that Wood scores one game, Wilson scores the next, and then maybe they go a game where someone like a St. Maximum or a Willock or somebody else pops up and gets them their goal. I still don't think this keeps Newcastle up. But with it weakening Burnley, maybe that's what it does. It doesn't directly keep Newcastle up in terms of the improvement to their team. But maybe it weakens Burnley enough that they're the one that don't quite get out of the mix. But they've got to give Dyche this money. They really have got to give him every single penny and a bit more. They've got to let him go and bring in some players now in this market. Who they'll be, I don't know. Divock Origi is available. Perhaps he's somebody they could bring in. I mentioned Todd Cantwell. I do think he makes sense for them. It's a creative player in midfield, something they could do with. Move Cornet into a central role where he has played some this season next to Chris Wood. Maybe, maybe there's another target man type striker out there that they can go and get. And like I say, Origi could be one, but I, I don't think they'd pay his wages. I don't know that he'd be interested in going to Burn, Burnley either, uh, if we're been, if we're been truthful. But I really do think, I really do think Burnley have, have got to get something done and done quickly, or else they are going to be in a lot of trouble. We'll finish up with the gossip and get out of here for today. Uh, Borussia Dortmund are set to make Erling, ha sorry, sorry, set to meet Erling Haaland's representatives next week as they try to find out what the 21-year-old's plans are regarding his future. Uh, Sevilla's interest in Anthony Martial has cooled as they cannot afford to meet his demands. It looks like they're about to sign Jesus Corona from Porto. If I'm not mistaken, Lupetegui managed him when he was at Porto, so could be what that link is. Paris Saint-Germain midfielder Jorginho Wijnaldum has been linked with a move to Newcastle, but he's not interested in a return to his former club. He's, he's going to stay where he is. Uh, former Tottenham boss Jose Mourinho has contacted Tanguy Dembele in an effort to convince him to join him at Roma with the Italian club wanting a loan with an option to buy. I don't believe that one. They didn't get on all that well when Mourinho was Tottenham manager. Um, Marcus Rashford is expected to hold talks at Manchester United 
over a new contract with negotiations set to start before the end of the season. If I was him, I just wouldn't do it. Uh, AC Milan are trying to sign a centre-back. Eric Bailly and Abdou Diallo are options. Um, they want Sven Botman. He is their main target. And Sven Botman wants that move. So I think that's who ends up going there. Uh, Crystal Palace are in talk to sign Eddie and Ketia with his contract running out in the summer. Palace have been very, very good at snapping up young players. And they've did a great recruitment run in the summer. I think they'll continue that uh, moving forward. Uh, his teammate, Fowler and Balligan, is set to join Middlesbrough on loan for the rest of the season. Lots of cry-arsing regarding this one uh, because he's on 40 grand a week and apparently that's ruining the game. Look, I agree he doesn't deserve 40 grand a week, but Arsenal did what they did to keep him because he's such a high-level talent. And for Borough to pay him... Oh, it's been confirmed. Guy's telling me it's been confirmed. So that's him and Aaron Connolly in, hopefully to give Chris Wood the firepower, not Chris Wood, Chris Wilder the firepower to get his team into the playoff mix and potentially back into the Premier League. But Balligan is super talented. And for Borough, it's about a 700,000 investment to have him for the end of the season. If he gets them up, uh, it makes them about 70 to 80 million. So I think they'll be fine paying the 700,000. Brighton and Newcastle are planning to sign Marcos Senisi from Dutch club Feyenoord. It's Football Insider, so it's probably tripe. But Senisi's a good player. Um, not sure he's what Brighton need at the moment. Um, but for Newcastle, they do need central defenders. Now, I've just seen someone suggest a price of 20 million. I would say absolutely not. Uh, at that kind of money, I, I think 12 is about as high as I would go for him right now. I don't think he's having a particularly great season for Feyenoord, but he is a good player. There's no question he's a good player. No Argentina caps, but those are likely to come. Brentford and Brighton have made bids for 19-year-old Stad Reims striker Hugo Ekatiki. Uh, but Newcastle remain favourites to sign him. So this kid has been tagged as the new Kylian Mbappe. Um, I don't see him as that. I do see him as a player with big-time potential. There's talk of 25, 30 million. It's a big investment. I think I think he's more the next Martial, if I'm being honest. I think I think he could go that's he could go either way with with Mbappe, he was only going to go one way. He was going to be outstanding. This kid could still go either way. Eight goals in 19 games this season is a really good return for a 19-year-old. Depending on the price, he could be a good signing for somebody. Brighton, I've seen a couple of journalists suggest that it's not true. They're not interested, but Brighton do need a striker. They do need a goal scorer. He is someone that fits their profile. For Brentford, he could be an interesting pickup as well. Um, but Newcastle, long-term planning maybe to go alongside the short-term signings of Trippier and Wood. Um, Bournemouth plan to price any potential suitors out of a move for Lloyd Kelly with Everton and West Ham interested. I don't know how well he'll take that if that is the case, but you know you want to keep him to try and push for a promotion, that's fine. Kingsley Coleman is close to agreeing a new deal. He has agreed a new deal. It's been announced. Chelsea are considering recalling 
English right back Dion Sterling from his loan, but only have until the 14th of January to do so. We'll wait and see what happens there. Middlesbrough have launched a last ditch bid to beat Celtic to the signing of Australian international Riley McCree from MLS side Charlotte FC. Um, I think he's going to end up going to Chelsea, or to, to Celtic rather. He's definitely one that they've been targeting. I believe he's worked under Celtic manager before. I think that's what the connection is. I think they worked together at Adelaide, maybe. I could be wrong. I think they worked together before. I could be completely wrong about that. Um, meant to be very talented. Don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, he was on the books of Club Bruges for a while. He was at Birmingham last season on loan. Don't know a whole lot about him, but interesting to see. What happens there? Tottenham want to sign a right-back midfielder and attacker during the window. Um, you need centre-backs, lads. Just go and go and sort your defence out first and foremost. Uh, Liverpool are ready to trigger Sevilla. <laughs> Sevilla and France defender Jules Koundé's contract buyout of £75 million. Uh, His buyout, first and foremost, is £65 million. And no, they're not. Uh, Chelsea's... 28-year-old German defender Antonio Rudiger out of contract in the summer and yet to sign a new deal with the European champions is said to prefer a move to Real Madrid over PSG. I think that's natural. Uh, PSG are set to offer Rudiger 7 million euros a year after tax, more than the Spanish club of pros. So this is more along the lines of what he's actually worth. That's 7 million euro a year year after tax. So it's about £115,000 a, a, a week. Yeah, about £115,000 a week, which is probably two hundred grand a week before tax. That's about what he's worth. Now, I still think it's an overpay. I wouldn't pay it, but it's more realistic than the four hundred grand a week he was being tagged for. Um, Edinson Cavani has, convinced, has committed himself to Manchester United after talks with Ralph Ranić. I've never seen a player been linked with so many moves away who's so clearly washed as Edinson Cavani. AC Milan are considering a move for Manchester City's 26-year-old Dutch defender, Nathan Aki. Doubt it. Uh, Manchester City could pursue Luka Modric. Doubt it. Arsenal are willing to finance a big-money deal to sign Dusan Vlahovic this month. It seems like he doesn't want the move. Now, I've seen some Arsenal fans trying to talk themselves into the fact that it's just to get a bigger pay packet. It doesn't seem like he wants to move. I think he knows he'll have better options in the summer. Because for clubs who miss out on Haaland, he will be the backup plan. So my money is on he waits and he gets his move in the summer. Um, Newcastle have been quoted £50 million for Patrick Schick. He's having a good season. don't know if I'd pay £50 million for him. PSG, AC Milan, Roma, Lyon, Barcelona and Newcastle are among the clubs that could be interested in Tango Endembele. Endembele with St. Maximum could be interesting in terms of just the frustration that Newcastle fans would end up feeling. Uh, Newcastle could rival Ajax in the pursuit of Stephen Bergwijn. Ajax have sold David Neres to Shakhtar Donetsk. It's a little bit of a disappointing one for Neres. He hasn't really kicked on 
the way you would have hoped that Ajax and the uh, arrival of Anthony kind of shunted him out of position as well. But still, Shakhtar, garbage. Um, Newcastle in advance talks for a, for a, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Newcastle's hopes of signing Sven Botman seem to be over. Uh, they are now focused on Diego Carlos and Benoit Badashili. Um, Newcastle could turn to Mason Holgate. I like Mason Holgate, but I, he's not who Newcastle need to sign. Tottenham will consider offers for Deli Ali and Matt Doherty. I mean, they're desperate to get rid of Doherty in particular. Uh, Spurs are leading the chase for Frank Kessie. Be a great signing. Uh, Manchester United have discussed a move for Dennis Sicaria. Six million is apparently the asking fee this month. It's going to be a good a good buy for whoever gets him. At worst, he's a really good squad player. Chelsea run talks to recall Emerson Palmieri. That's that seems to be going on a while now. West Ham are weighing up a loan move for Abdou Diallo. We've been over that one uh, Tuesday, no Monday. That would be a great signing for them. QPR striker Lyndon Dykes has attracted interest from Newcastle, Burnley, Crystal Palace. Norwich. Um, I mean, as a target man type, I certainly think he fits the bill of what Burnley will need to replace Chris Wood. Um, Aussie born, obviously. Scottish international. Not a huge goal scorer. But Puts himself about. Let's put it like that. He puts himself about. And sure, isn't that all you could really ask of him? I do wonder what championship level strikers at the moment could step up. Obviously, Mitrovic will be out of the the range of um, of Burnley. Ben Breton, Diaz, maybe. Don't see them going for Solanke. Nor Andy Vyman. Joel Perot, could he be an option? He's a decent player. He's having a good season. Nine goals. No, sorry, 11 goals in the league so far this season. Um, I'm not really sure who, who Burnley could bring in, but they've got to find a striker somewhere. I don't think Lyndon Dykes is the option, but you never know. You never know. And that's it. That is us for today, folks. That is the gossip. That is the news. The latest on the AFCON. Some rambles about the Chelsea Academy and whatever else we went through there. Southampton. Brentford game, obviously. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. I Tomorrow's questions day, so send any questions to... Guy Drinkle on Twitter, at EPL Index on Twitter, or the Anfield Index Discord, if you're a member of that. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves, and goodbye. Podcast Network.